What is going on? My name is Tim Karen. Today we got Performance Health Podcast. We are going to talk about performance testing. This is a hard topic to talk about because one of the things that we find, it's got a different definition based off of who you talk to, when you talk to them, and what context in which you're talking to them. So we're going to break all that down. We're going to open up with what we know, myself and Corey Hobbs. We're going to break down from all the research articles and all the resources that we have listed within the actual show notes. And then we're going to bring on Will Greenberg, and he's going to talk about what his experiences are and influencing on that. This is going to be a phenomenal episode. I hope you guys enjoy. If you guys are not a member, please become a member at phpodcast.com to access the actual web show, see all the notes, see all the transcripts, and all the suggested resources that we have listed with this podcast. Let's hit it. If you're listening to this podcast, that probably means you're a strength coach or want to be a strength coach. And man, do I have the resource for you. It's called How to Become a Strength Coach, Periodizing Your Career in Strength Conditioning. This is your start to finish seminal resource to get you to becoming the best possible strength coach you can ever be. You can get your copy along with access to our course at phpodcast.com. This is a must-have for any strength conditioning coach or any aspiring strength conditioning coach out there. It will not only give you a step-by-step tutorial on how to become a strength coach, it will help you optimize your career every step of the way. Absolute must-have. If you like this podcast, get the book. Hey everybody, we're talking performance testing this week. So right off the bat, Tim, hit us with that 30,000 view of performance testing. What what have we learned and and just what's the basic background for it? I think the best place to start is measure what matters. And that book, when we talk about that, is really designed for business. But one of the things as a business owner that I've come to learn is there's a lot of parallels to performance testing, right? The the idea, and we're going to talk about this with Will, that most things are complex, meaning there's no clear, direct vector of what is actually going to make a difference. You're almost looking at it from a constant state of trial and error and scientific method and trying to evaluate what did and didn't work in a constant, constant manner. But with measure what matters, and we look at this from the concept of objectives and key results, or what is short form OKRs, it aligns giving some sort of vector with complex adaptive systems, right? Human beings are always going to be in this state of, we don't know how they're going to respond to any stress. No one can predict what's going to happen from today to tomorrow. No one's going to be able to say that this thing that we did in January is going to have a direct correlation to performing really well in September. But what we can say is, what is our objective? You know, and one of the things that is very top of the line with any objective is to have more resiliency, is looking through how do I get 22 players in football, 11 on offense, 11 on defense, starting that first game and then starting that last game and trying to get as many reps as possible in between then start and finish. So that might be a good objective. The other one might be, hey, we're just not really a well-conditioned team. And we want to be able to play with those guys all four quarters. Okay, that might be an objective. The other one might be, hey, I want to be better in terms of team speed. You know, so whatever the objective is, it's like this 10,000 foot view of, hey, what are we trying to accomplish with our training? Right. And I think as I'm looking through my business, how do I have more money than I spend? How do I have more money so I can expand and grow? How do I create more net revenue? Same thing with performance is how do I get a transference from start to finish from our training? Is that the point that I have with them in January, February, March, and then June and July with football? 
how does that transfer to maybe them performing at a higher level than them not training with me? And then we look at the key results. And those are the drivers of that. So objectives are what we want. Objectives are going to be the things that we're doing to get us ultimately like this bigger thing, this running faster, being more resilient, being better conditioned. And key results are what you could kind of classify as these process goals or these things that are actually driving that. So what's it going to make us more resilient? Is it increasing range of motion? Is it increasing motor control? Is it increasing strength or tensile strength of the tissues? If I want to be faster, do I need to improve force? Do I need to improve velocity? Do I need to improve mechanics? If I want to be a better conditioned team, do I need to improve VO2 max? Do I need to improve work capacity in a specific energy? energy system or this time interval. And all we're looking at from an OKR perspective is just trying to figure out what is it that we want and what are the things or the benchmarks that we need to get to get us to that really consistent. So really good resource there. We actually have that listed in our resources in the notes when you go on the website. Now, what that also does is potentially gives us this idea of a KPI or key performance indicator. We did a podcast with Sean Hayes, who's one of our guests. And what we talked about is determining a KPI is not the easiest thing to do, but is something that as you start to look through, might have a huge tangible difference with your performance, right? So if I look at KPIs as this thing of, hey, I don't know what necessarily is going to be 100% translatable to performance, but it does give me some sort of, hey, I got to do this in order to get this. So if I'm looking at a KPI of like a power clean max or a vertical jump, or maybe even a strength deficit counter movement versus non-counter movement jump ratio. And I look at that as this is just basically the thing that I'm focusing on to hopefully make a tangible difference to performance, then I can start to align my training. And then like all good scientific experiments, we either look at that hypothesis at the end of, hey, I want to improve, I want to increase or decrease strength deficit as a KPI. And does that actually translate to performing at a higher level? Did we win or lose more games? Did my starters play more games? Did I be able to practice every single day with all 110 guys in my roster? And that's all what I'm looking at from performance testing is I have something that I'm tangibly trying to do and I'm creating these micro benchmarks in between, i.e. like a key result, and I'm trying to improve those over time, and I assess whether I did or didn't. Hopefully that answers that first question, Corey. Yeah, but I also think that it drives us into our next question really well. Like we have our KPIs, our key results, but I mean, sometimes it's arbitrary. Like when I got here, they're like, hey, you're going to one rep max squat bench and clean. I'm like, am I? Like why? So as we as we look at like the research and, and the available information, like is there any good research that supports what a good KPI might be or what makes a good KPI? Yeah, we went through NSCA. We found a couple of really good research articles, one by bobsled and one basketball. Obviously, my background's with football, so a lot of experience there. But yes, there is absolutely. And one of the things that I think is a really important note is this idea of a team sport versus a more Olympic sport, or sometimes classified as acyclical versus cyclical, that a lot of the things that we pull from, from a KPI or benchmark number is really driven from this cyclical sport. Like if I got a track and field athlete that's going to start on the blocks and run across the line and the person that can run across that line faster wins, it's a lot either easier to determine what is a KPI or correlate or is going to have correspondence to performance than in a team environment that's chaotic and never, never predictable. So one of the associations we need to start to think about with that, hey, squat, bench, clean max is a lot of that's derivative of, hey, cyclical sports are just easier to create correlate things. And I can start to create progressions to improve a 
KPI relative to a sprint or a jump or weightlifting or powerlifting, right? Powerlifting would be like one of the most simple examples of what is actually like very clear of what we're doing, right? If I can squat bench and deadlift more, there's a very clear cause and effect relationship from things that I'm doing from a testing perspective through training that I can see the impact of that, right? So if I look at, I want to squat bench and clean more and have a higher total, pretty easy. What do I need to assess from the beginning to see what's going to have the, the transference to that performance there? Where it's a lot less, lot less direct when we look at a team setting, right? So if I look at football, yeah, I can improve someone's squat bench deadlift or squat bench clean or whatever else that I'm doing. It, it might be about a 50% correspondence and we might see a sample that does really well with that and a sample that does really poorly with that and kind of everyone falls in this standard distribution of mostly kind of like in the middle, not really a whole lot, but not a whole, not, not, not nothing. And I, I, I look at that when we look at the research and saying, are we looking at a cyclical sport versus an acyclical sport? So we looked at basketball and bobsled. So I wanted to get outside my personal comfort zone, right? When we looked at bobsled, it's, pushing a sled and then jumping into the sled and then going. So pretty much like three things that they got to do. I'm not saying it's easy. Don't get me wrong. Like there are very, very quick to make a misconception that what I'm saying, because it's simple, means it's easy. Not the same thing. Simple is not easy. But the reality is if I was trying to find correlate test for a bobsled, that would be a lot clearer than something like basketball. And basketball is a very chaotic and open sport. And there's plenty of people who have had dramatic success with very different body sizes and very different strength levels. Like the classic example would be Kevin Durant couldn't bench 185 and he's arguably one of the greatest players who've ever lived. So obviously that's not a great test, but that's a test. You know, it's a test you can do. So, but that doesn't discredit bench press. It just means it's kind of hard to say that's a correlate to anything other than upper body strength, which may or may not be able to translate to performance. Versus bobsled, if we're going to look at anything, like as we look through the research here, one of the things that they talked about was the 30-meter fly and the 60-meter sprint was very correlated to performance. And that's a straight-ahead linear sprint. So 30 meters, looking at acceleration, what is your ability to build up your speed from start to finish? And then a 60-meter sprint, maybe looking at more top-end speed. So, right, what is their potential? And I've talked about this on Twitter, that I think that acceleration is more more attributed to increasing someone's force as well as looking at velocity or max velocity or top end speed is more attributed to just more athletic ability. So if we're looking at drill work, if we're looking at skill, if we're looking at just getting them stronger, there's going to have some sort of criteria in there. And I, I made that comparison off of this comparable of like clean and snatch. If I can snatch 85% more than my clean. So if my clean is 100 kilos and my snatch is 85 or it's 90, that means I need to get stronger. And then in the other end, if my snatch was 75, that means I need to get faster. So this kind of constant ratio between the two and looking at the difference. But those are really strongly correlated. Again, that's a very cyclical sport. The second and third was this idea of this more specific test of what they call a, a break and a side push. You know, those are very specific bobsled tests, but they're also repeatable, right? Like in football, like I could practice what their, like their pull step would be or a certain route on air and how fast they can do it. All else is out the table, off the table when they get jammed at the line or someone's basically coming off their back foot and then basically blows up the play. Right. You know, all that stuff has a lot of more nuance. Like you're going against a sled that's not reacting in other than just being heavy and on ice. And yeah, the, those are a lot more controllable variables. Versus basketball, 
some of the big tests that they looked at were a five and 10 meter linear sprint, a modified agility T-test, some sort of change of direction deficit. So what's their ability to change direction, relatively speaking to their linear speed, lateral bound, a sergeant jump, a one-step jump, an isomythi pull, you know, a lot more battery of tests to get hopefully where they're up. And this is where it goes into, if you look at super training, it has like this, what they call a spider chart. And when they look through, and this was like something I think was really big in the early 2000s of creating a profile through the spider chart, like where do they fall in all these battery of tests and what their percentile range is, right? And a lot of times you see this like, you know, Tim Karen archetype that's five foot eight, 200 pounds playing football, basketball, and baseball, like off the charts in terms of force output, but very, very poor in terms of speed. Right. And then, okay, well, was I a marginally successful high school athlete? Yeah. So if I was going to look at where do I need to pull that guy into is pulling that spider chart towards speed and less focus on force versus if I was getting this guy ready for, for bobsled and I was looking at that person, he's like, he's off the charts in the strength thing, but that's not actually correlated. So I can just remove that from the spider chart and I can make it maybe into a triangle chart. Like, okay, he needs to sprint 30, 60, and then do this side push. Where does he fall percentile? 10%, 10%, 10%. We need to pull him towards the 50% up to 100% kind of thing. So all it does between cyclical and acyclical sports from the research and looking at this team sport versus Olympic sport is we have to expand or compress this idea of what battery tests actually matter. And I think as we're looking through training, what that actually has an impact for, we should be thinking about, we're trying to improve a lot of quality simultaneously for Olympic sports or for team sports. And then we should be looking at very, very narrowed focus and knowing what matters for, for Olympic sports or, cycl or cyclical sports. That's uh, very well said. And I wanted to get into this idea of like, I really like the way you laid it out. Like if you need more acceleration, you need more force, top end speed, more attribute to athleticism. Like you have some clear objectives right there. Do you have any other like specific examples? Say we have someone listening who's like, okay, I get it. But like, how do I put this together? Like maybe something you did at Army or how, how you're putting together your, your OKRs, your KPIs and like what metrics you're tying back to. So context matters a lot here, right? So your circumstances, being a high school strength coach, me working in the private sector with general populations. And, you know, one of the things that we try to do is, and this is something that is so hard in terms of removing your personal bias or your associations or even your personal agenda, right? Like the elephant in the room is if you walk into any of my gyms, you'll see racks, barbells, dumbbells, kettlebells, med balls, but you'll see like the big four, what I call the four horsemen of training people. And if I look at those things and saying, okay, like if I wanted to develop something like top end speed with those tools, I'm going to do a really poor job. So my testing is going to be heavily influenced by what I have available to me and what actually matters to me, right? But I look at it from this process of, I work with predominantly general populations now. And if they were going to ask me anything, like if I was going to ask them anything that they wanted from what we're doing, it's I want to look better. And bar none, that's what it is, right? That's, I just want to look better and not be in pain. And if I press them against the wall, like, man, what do you want to test? If I, like, if I said, what do you want to actually get from this? And they just scream out, I just want to look better. So leads into, okay, what are the tools that are going to allow me to do that? Like, how am I going to create better lean muscle mass and lower body fat? And how am I going to do that on a, enough consistency and enough frequency where they don't break down and don't get hurt where I can actually get to that outcome? From a programming perspective, obviously, that's a big influence on that. But the same thing in the, the team setting or high school setting. And where I'm going with this is 
You got to look at your environment and say, I work with high school athletes. I work with general populations. I work with elite level athletes. And you start to think about what actually matters collectively, right? So one of the things that we talked about at Army was we're just too small. We're flat out too small. So our biggest objective year one was to get bigger. And we made it the theme. We did everything around that. A lot of our protocols and programming was based around hypertrophy. A lot of our nutrition was centered around being a caloric surplus, increasing protein intake. All those things had a really big impact. Now, if you're going to say if that's performance, what I just described, it's, it's technically not, but that was the biggest constraint and limiting factor to us being successful. And then the next question would be is what tools do we have to be able to do that? We had an abundance of tools. We had all the racks we wanted. We had all the barbells, weights we could ever imagine. So we had the right setup for that. So maybe our, our OKR was looking at body mass and body composition in relation to where we needed to go. And it, that to me, as I think is most often the most misunderstood and misrepresented aspect of performance testing. It's this idea of not really zeroing in on what you need and what you can actually do. Because we can have all the conversation we want about performance testing and what is ideal. And you can go ahead, I need you to get, I need you to get a timing system. I need you to get a 1080 sprint. I need you to get a high level velocity based training. I need you to get force plates. I need you to get Nord boards. I need you to get uh, force frames, dynamos. I need you to get all these tools. I need you to get uh, tools, 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 tools. And the truth is that might not be anywhere close to what you need. Like, right? Like we just talked about before, your biggest logistical challenge is getting enough time in the room where they're transitioning from upstairs from the locker room and then getting them back out so they can change and go back to class. Like, what is an OKR after losing 20 minutes of transition time? And that, that's the part like, as I'm looking through my setup and I got to convince someone, hey, we are the best gym for you because you're going to get the best training, you're going to get the best programming, you're going to get the best coaching. And they're looking at it like, I got to come here three, four days a week. I got to make sure that I can get here on time. I got to make sure that I can be at these scheduled class times. I got to make sure that this is actually checking the box of it's going to get me what I want without getting me hurt because if I get hurt, I can't work. I can't pick up my kids, et cetera. All that stuff is on the equation. And when we're looking at performance testing and we're thinking about this, what are my constraints? What are actually the actual physical needs that I need to attribute or I get? We have to have that conversation first and foremost. So to back to your original question of, what am I doing from a testing perspective? It comes down to context and what you actually have available, available and then what you need. Now, in regards to it, just to kind of like, just wet the beak, so to speak, of like what is testing and what is good testing, I can look at a whole battery of tests and I can look at all those things, but there are things that are weighted differently when I look at performance. And as much as we want to say, like, it's so complex and it's so things, there are things that actually matter a little bit more than others, depending on the sport, which we saw with bobsled. For me, in football, it was always backwards overhead med ball throw. That's what it was, 100%. As I look it through, can someone projectile a med ball for distance? And what we found is three big things that I thought were really important. One would be, do they have enough speed to projectile that ball at a certain rate? Two, do they have enough athletic ability to organize themselves from a hinge pattern into a backwards toss? And then three, do they have the right levers, like be better catapults or better football players? And from there, I can start to triangulate what I need to do from a performance test. Like, so if that person's short and squatty, not much I can do there, but I might need to improve their velocity and their athleticism. If that person is really long and really athletic, might need to improve their force. And you just have this back and forth. 
and plug here, but I talk a lot about our strength deficit program here now, where we talk about this beginning of what is an athletic profile? Like, what is there difference between eccentric and concentric ability? Can I look at a counter movement jump versus a non counter movement jump? And a lot of times you can look at other metrics to cooperate that and support that. So, like an ISO mid thigh pull can look at something like dynamic strength index, which compares your ability to jump and how much force you can produce in that same vector. So, this setup pull versus this jump vertically that idea of how much force can i generate upwards by pushing down the plate versus how much can i recreate energy and projectile my body upwards creates what they call a dynamic strength index and they give you some sort of ratio if you're in the 60 percentile if you're in this 80 percentile 100 percentile uh, more velocity more force in this ratio the same thing with strength deficit. If I look at your counter movement jump, if it's a, this like 1.3 to 1.0 type of ratio for counter movement jump to non counter movement jump, probably needs you need to work on either more concentric if you're working inside the box or you're right where you need to be for outside the box, folks, and then flip it. If I was going to look at it from this, you're at 1.1, you're playing out, outside the box or outside the box, you need to get more eccentric strength. You need to work on more velocity, you need more rate of force development. And as I start to look through this, like waiting and this thing of like, all right, football is a complex, very open sport. Basketball is a complex sport. The thing that I'm constantly thinking about what actually matters, what actually makes a difference. And not only that, what can I get from a large sample, right? The law of averages effect. If I look at a large group and I say, this group needs this, that they need to focus on this. Talk about football and army. They need to gain weight talk about with, hey, working with a high school athlete, they just need to learn the fundamentals of movement mechanics. They need to know how to be on time. They know how to, what's a set and rep. They know how to go through a full range of motion. They know how to train with integrity. You know, talk about with gen pop, like I need them to show up three to four times a week for 50 weeks a year to actually get some sort of tangible difference in terms of body composition. And all these things in the back of your mind of like, okay, what actually metric can I test it at? Like with my gen pop setting, it's literally how much attendance do they come? Like that's the OKR for me. And how do I facilitate better attendance? optimal workloads so I don't break them down. They can actually come back. Uh, an optimal amount of challenge where they feel stimulated and they feel like it's worth their time. An interesting and really creative program design that encourages them to like keep working at it, but also too doesn't deter them from they're not going to ever be able to be successful at this. And then in terms of performance, like if I look at it from a football player perspective, can't control their length or their levers, but I can't control their speed and how much athleticism they have. I'm going to start to attribute that. And then aligns my training program. And when I'm thinking about performance testing, you're thinking about how is this going to influence your training? So often we just do this testing and we think about this almost generic prescripted thing that we're going to do with our athletes. That the testing has no merit on that. Surefire way to not create buy-in from testing is to have no influence from your testing into your programming. If your athletes and clients feel like they're just testing the test and has no no actual semblance of impact on what they're doing from a training perspective, they're not going to believe in the test. You and the athletes collectively have to believe that what you're testing actually matters and has an influence on what you do. Because if it doesn't, then you shouldn't do it. If you don't believe what you do matters towards the test and you don't believe in the test, then you shouldn't be doing either. You should figure out that first and foremost. So we're talking about these things about what we're doing with a football athlete or a basketball athlete. 
Maybe it just comes down to, I believe in this test because I think as a whole, collectively, we all need to be more athletic. We all need to produce higher rates of force or a higher or higher amount of force, or we need to be able to run faster, or we need to be able to jump higher, or we need to, be able to go further. We need to be able to do collectively these things. And that has a direct correspondence to what I'm doing from a training perspective, because I believe what I do training actually matters and influences on my outcome of performance. And then from there, I should see that manifest and improve my test. And if it doesn't, it's either two things. It's a bad program design or bad execution. So I need to visit my program design element and I need to prove my, I need to visit my execution element. And if either of those or both are not really where they need to be, then I need to fix that. And then I need to take ownership of the testing has influence on my training and the training should have influence on my testing. And if it does or doesn't really is up to me to make sure that I follow through on that. Yeah. Wow. So much you hit on there. A lot of great stuff. One thing that I think like if I had to distill down performance testing, it seems like, you know, don't force it, fit it to your needs and then don't get married to like the test itself. If that makes sense. Like what is get married to the the metric that the test is measuring and how that relates to performance. Uh, another question I had in like, in thinking of my own situation is just like the timing, like how often should I test? And and so, like, do you have any insight there? Yeah. So I, my my perspective, and this is something that I'm doing just the same boat as you with working with Gen Pop, is this idea of when you're time constraints, and if, most people are always going to have time constraints, you should be looking at these seemingly like tests within training. You know, instead of having this big grandiose test, you should treat everything as a test, right? So if you're doing plyometrics, you should try to figure a way to, to quantify that. And like, can I get them on a jump mat? Can I get them on a force plate? If you're doing sprinting, you should figure out a way to time it and introduce that and track that. If you're doing strength testing, like, or strength training, obviously you should be looking at how to quantify that and, and track that. And instead of saying this big, like put on a pedestal testing thing, you should look at everything as a test. Like every single thing potentially could be viewed as a test. If, if you, if that matters to you, right? So. If you're trying to get people better and you're trying to improve people with limited time or potentially very limited resources, you have all these moments, these pockets, these windows. And this other idea of like anyone has ever done a very elongated, very big testing day understands one, the inherent risk associated with putting something on a pedestal of people potentially getting hurt, but also two, like it's hard to peak every single person on any given day. And then the other end, it goes into this other idea, is that more important than the actual training that you're supposed to be doing to influence the test? And where I really leaned in on is everything collectively is a test and everything you should be doing should be tracked and quantified in some way that you can come back and say, what was their peak throughout this off season? And I can start to attribute performance gains are there. So here's a really good example of this. We track Four step, we've, we've tried counter movement jump, eccentric Nordic hamstring curl, and grip strength every single week with every single one of our clients. And it might sound very stupid or very like common sense, but the training blocks where we introduce plyometrics or things with higher rates of force development have a better correspondence to actual jump performance. Also, and I think a lot of people who work within a team environment probably realize this, but when we do things like glute hams or Nordics, we have a better 
relationship with Nordic hamstring strength. But the real issue is, is how do I do knee dominant posterior chain strength? And one of the things that we see a lot with our programming or progression is it's going to be a lot of body weight, or body weight leg curl things, like relatively speaking to weighted hinge movements like RDLs, deadlifts, and swings. Versus I'm going to do a fizzy ball leg curl, a foam roll leg curl, a TRX leg curl, maybe a hip bridge, maybe a knee straight or knee bent position. But there's not really much ways to progressively overload with external resistance this knee dominant hamstring curl. And what we see is that has a much bigger significance when we do higher threshold movements in training like eccentric Nordics or glute hams, relatively speaking to doing body weight leg curls where my body's in a supine position. And the, 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 the real answer there is, okay, well, we need to introduce higher threshold knee dominant posterior chain exercises in our training in a higher manner in order to get this actual tensile strength of our hamstrings. And then finally, grip. That when we do more suspended things like pull-ups and inverted rows, when we do more fat grip things with pressing and pulling exercises, when we make a bigger concerted effort for grip, like carries and things of that nature, we see a direct impact on grip strength. And if we're looking at all those tests as, I want people to produce more force, I want people to produce force in a greater manner, and I want people to have greater overall grip strength from either a CNS readiness standpoint or just overall function standpoint, then I need to do that in training. And I look at that, the only reason why I really held to the standard and I'm really focusing on that and I'm now thinking in my head of every single time I program is how is this going to influence those metrics that I think matter toward people training for 50 weeks a year, three to four times a week. And the same thing in the performance setting to working with athletes. Like if I want them running faster, jumping higher, or sprinting, or I'm sorry, throwing something further. What's going to have a direct correspondence to that? So if I want someone throwing some a med ball further for distance, and I'm saying, oh, do I do Olympic lifts or not? Does it have a correspondence to that? Yes, especially the way I teach it and the way I progress it. If I look at it from the context of if I want someone accelerating faster and I trying to justify doing more force things or strength-related things, then yeah, it's pretty easy correspondence there. If I want someone having better top-end speed of a flying 20 or a 60-meter sprint, then yeah, I have great opportunity to do more rapid contact stuff on the ground, so like more extensive plyometrics, more top-end speed work, more things that are going to facilitate that more upright position. Yeah, it just has a direct impact on that. And that's the thought for me. It's like when I look at your situation in high school and I look at my situation in this, it's like it's so easy just to overlook the effect of like I can't commit a whole day to testing, let alone not everyone's going to be able to do that at a high level. But what I can do is commit to doing these seemingly unnoticed testing and making sure that I'm holding myself to that standard. The point being is like, you got to test in whatever way you feel you can, but making sure that that's having an influence still on your programming. Corey, man, I appreciate you asking all those questions. That was a, that was a, a great Q and a there. we got Will here next. So you guys stay on board, man. We got a lot more to talk about. Yeah. Will always brings the heat. Thanks Tim. I appreciate it. If you like what we're talking about here in this podcast, you're definitely going to love this next thing. It's called Strength Deficit. 
your seminal resource to developing eccentric versus concentric ability with your athletes. We have a book, we have courses, we have everything you need to be able to implement, understand, and be the best strength deficit practitioner you could possibly be. You can get all of these resources at phpodcast.com and you'll become the best, and I mean this, the best possible strength coach in your setting. Well, when I'm thinking about performance metrics, one of the places I've got caught up in the past is thinking too far ahead of how am I going to improve this performance and forgetting to look backwards and say, what has happened in the past and what are some things that may be limiting performance in the future and be able to remove those things instead of just looking of how do we add, how do we add, how do we add? Sometimes I forget because it's easy to, to just figure out, well, what do we need to subtract? And in terms of metrics that I think are important for performance, really is that availability is key. If you're available to be on the field, then we have the potential to increase performance. And the biggest limiting factor is previous injury. The biggest risk of future injury is going to be previous injury. So taking a deep dive into someone's history of ankle sprains, soft tissue injuries, uh, previous surgeries, concussions, and there are some secondary effects to each one of those. None of them that are predictive, but you end up seeing patterns. So when it comes to performance testing, that's where I start with any of our tests. And of course, there's going to be objective data from Norboard or groin squeeze or isometric mid-thigh pull or any of the tests that are emerging throughout our field. But without understanding first what their previous history is, you may not have the context of why something may be, may be affected in, in any of the other tests that we can use with technology. Hey, before we get into a quick anecdote, what's your Nord board? What's your best Nord board? You know why that's a great question? Because I am an excellent tester. Excellent tester. I, in all the leaderboards that we've ever done, including in, in my time in the NFL, I'm top five. I mean, I, I've gone, I've had a above 800 on one side on the Nordboard and on our, on jumps or isometric mid thigh pull or anything. I've always been a really good tester, but one nuance that is that I'm nowhere near the athlete that a lot of our players are in terms of on the field. So you couldn't just start playing in the NFL because you have the highest Nordboard on the team. Exactly. So to think again and to go back is, to think that any of the testing is really going to determine how good of an athlete someone is or that there's direct transferability to the field would be limited. I think I, I'm not saying that there's not any because I think it all works together. It's all interdependent. But the fact that I have great testing scores and I can't play football, it really shows that like that, that that's that's where it doesn't hold up to the test of that performance testing with technology or numbers or objective data always matters. But I will say that my hamstrings are, are very strong. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. I can, I can do tests of that. That's great. You know, it's interesting, though, like you talked about, like the the idea of being able, on, be, be able to play and be on the field as like one of the best predictors of performance, right? The, mm -hmm. If you have 22 guys that you started with that you thought would be your best players and if they're playing all 17, like you probably have a better probability of winning than not. Um, and then to like the whole other level of like, what is your depth? So can we plug someone else in there? But a lot of that is out of our control, which is interesting though, because 
I was hanging out with my neighbor the other night, big Yankees fan, talking about why the Yankees are so bad this year. And he's like, they have a whole philosophy of guys who were previously injured have a lesser probability of getting hurt in the future, according to the front office of the Yankees. And I was like, say that again and ask yourself, does that make sense coming out of your mouth? And he's like, no, it doesn't make any sense. I'm like, yeah, because logic would say that if you have a previous injury, you probably a higher probability of getting hurt in the future again more so than someone who doesn't a specific area as well which so it goes into this idea though of like where i'm going to go to this like next question of like man like the outside world and the perception of like what is performance like so i work with gen pop i work with youth athletes and like their preconceived notion of like well i want to see these metrics improve because i feel like that's what someone said was really important and our back of our mind it's like can I just do enough to get this person playing 10 games in their high school football season? And I effectively did my job, but it's hard to really associate one with the other. So I guess it goes into this next stop or question. And then kind of like, I guess originally prefaces like, how have you changed? But how is that like now seeing the results of like multiple football seasons in a row influence, like what is a constitutes a good job in the off season and how, what testing you should look at? Yeah. I think it's a great question because, Drawing from my experience of working with youth athletes, working at the high school level, working in college and professional sports, it really is a context-dependent question because each level requires something different. And I mean, you could break it down to each individual requires something different, but I will say that what a youth requires in terms of what you need to test for or what you need to understand or what you need to pay, let's just say what you need to pay attention to is very different than high school, than college than professional sports. And I'll use the analogy of compounding interest. I think that's probably the best way to explain uh, how people may be seeing it and how people may be getting wrong is that when you start being available to practice your sport, the more time on task you get to do, the more of a more mastery you get, the more expertise you get. And as you practice over and over and you start expanding your skill and being able to try new things, now it starts to expand, right? And that's why I think a lot of people are pushing for multi-sport athletes instead of just specialization because you have a more robust set of skills. But as you let that compound, that's how you get to the point where when you're an expert, okay, we can test for specific strengths or we can test for specific skills and we can understand performance a little bit better there. But it's not, it doesn't transfer down the chain to high school. So when I'm talking about previous injury, there's probably a lot of high school athletes that may have never gotten injured yet. So it's not as big of an aspect as in college or professional sports where time on task has been so long, the potential risk of injury has increased. Very rarely do you see someone at the end of their career that's never gotten hurt. I mean, I don't even know if that, that exists. So what you're looking for at different levels matters, but what you need to pay attention for and what you need to test for is how available can we, how long can we allow this player to practice? What skills do they have? How, how much do they need to practice? And what's going to keep them on the field for as long as possible? Because it's easy to get wrapped up in, well, do they need to be faster? If they need to be faster, there's some things that can be done, but it takes a very long time. And then once they do get faster, now they can expand their skill set because they're able to do more with their speed. I hope, hopefully I explained that in an appropriate manner, but I think the idea of compounding interest would be like youth parents or the youth looking at the stocks for today. 
oh man, the stock market went down 5% today. Yeah, but over the last 50 years, it's been an upward trend on a 10% increase for 50 years. So if you're looking at today and people start to panic about that, that's really not worrying about the appropriate thing. And so if we're testing hamstring strength for a, a 12 year old and saying, oh, this is what we need to get better at, I think we would be missing the point of what is the emphasis for that person for that sport at this time? Well, I mean, it, there's a lot of things that go into that though, of like, you know, what thinking about people actually caring about what you're doing and the concentric circle off of that, right? Like, so, hey, we want to get faster. So we're going to test a 20 meter dash or a 40, 40 yard dash. And the training that goes into it and the buy-in with the training of like, hey, we got to really commit to running hard and doing these drills and getting greater right of force development in our training and and making sure that we're prepared, right? Remember that last year at Army, we did a pre-mortem and talked about like, we want to get faster, which everyone always says. But I was like, what's the biggest limiting factor is you guys getting a crappy night's sleep and being dehydrated the day of training? Because we can only run so fast if we keep getting hurt. And like come prepared in order for us to cram more of these high intensity sessions throughout the week and not having to take 72 to 96 hours to recover between. And we can get more frequency of these things that are going to help us run faster. But that thought of like, was it the actual like influence of, of the actual test or like the going into the train or the actual practice and playing, or was it the training that went before that and knowing there's a test coming up and we have to actually improve and buy in and do all these like seemingly little things. Like, you know, that's where I immediately, when you were talking about compounding interest, it's like the stuff that doesn't seem to matter until we get hurt or until we get a crappy time or whatever, like the level of commitment and buy-in just goes up. And if as a coach too, you're way more cognizant of that. Like, you know, you're thinking like if we have a crappy movement prep and we have that decision to make of like, man, probably that guy doesn't look like he should be running today. Like, do I cut it? But they've been training hard all off season. That's a lot of times a product of not really being as familiar with that situation as you should be going into that and not making training as as high high stakes as possible, of like doing competitive sprints or, or top end speed work or whatever else is going to put them to like threshold. You know, that is like, no, I'm fine. I know what they look like when they move and prep. Like, this is where we should be. You know, I'm like, I don't have that anxiety about it. And so everyone has a lot more confidence, uh, which which is like uh, the effect of of just having some sort of standards in your programming. And it's like, is it less, it's less about the test for me. It's more about the actual things that change the test. And we talked about that with velocity-based training a long time ago. We talked about that with buying tools that measure that cost a lot of money versus doing the things that change the measurement, like where should your time, money and resources go? You know, that's always a good debate. Um, with that being said though, is there like, I guess is a hard question to answer now based off what we just did, but is there like, if you like started at a, a new school tomorrow and you're like, Hey, I got to get as much information as possible. Like, and I just want to be like default, like reaction of like, I don't know, I'm driving across the country about to start up and I'm about to have my first conversation with the team. Like, where's your mind going with what do I need to know about this team right away with football? I think the foundation of that starts on a human level. I think that I could do as much performance testing as I wanted, but until I spoke to the human beings that are in front of me, and started to understand their story and take the time to do that, that's where my priority would lie. I think generalized training is going to take care of a lot of things. 
I think just training hard, getting stronger, it takes care of a lot. In that time, I'd like to know, like I said, their previous history of, of what they've done, what injuries they've had, the subjective feedback from their position coach to say, this person's slow or this person needs better burst or whatever words that they want to use and start to compile a list of variables of, well, why is the outcome looking like this? So let's, I'll, I'll make up a case study on this. A player lacks burst or, yeah, let's say burst off the line. And so that's, that's a subjective feedback you're getting from an expert coach and say, okay, well, here's, here's what I'm seeing. Here's how I see it on the film. We can go through our expertise and say, what does their counter movement jump look like? What does their isometric mid dipole look like? How strong are they? What, at what rate are they moving 80% of their max force? What are their hamstring strength like? What's the groin strength like? What are previous injury, what's their previous injury history? And, and go through these variables to say, what's making sense? What's not making sense? But all of that, you compile all that information and if you don't speak to the athlete, you miss a huge contextual piece of that. So I think what, and what I'm trying to say is people say there's an art and science to everything. The art part of that is, is if, if I hung uh, art on my wall and you looked at it and I looked at it, we might interpret it in a different way. The art of coaching to me is being able to interpret the reality as best as you can. And, and that might not be always accurate on my part. I might have some some unconscious bias about something or some subjectivity or, or previous experience where it's like, Oh, I've seen this pattern before. It must be because X, Y, and Z. But then you go talk to the player and you bring up the, the, you show them the film clip or you talk about it. And the player's like, to be honest with you, I just didn't know where to go on that. I, I froze because I forgot the play. And it's like, Oh, he doesn't lag burst. It's that he forgot the play. And in all my testing, it shows he's got pretty good burst. Or, you know, I, and again, that's just a made up example, but there's this human element to having a conversation with the player, not only to earn their trust and understand them, to, to build the relationship so that they'll do more for you when, when you ask of them when it's hard, but also to understand, well, what is the reality that you're seeing? How are you interpreting what you're seeing? When I say burst, what do you think of? When a coach tells you to run fast, what are you thinking of? Like, oh, well, top end speed. Oh, well, I think they mean to burst off the line. And there are just all these little nuances of human beings having some flaws of misunderstanding or uh, misaligned expectations that that's where I would really start. And I know that's not any technology, but it's free. It's free to do that. And you you learn a lot more from from just having conversations with people. And I recognize it's hard to do when you have 120 athletes and you can't get to know every single one of them. But you can start to tease out who are the ones that are really going to make a big impact. Who are the ones that coaches are talking about? Who are the ones that are the alphas on the team that are going to get in, get me in with other players? And so you start doing that and you start building those relationships. And you can always get some information through subjective feedback of, hey, questionnaires in the, the beginning of the day. How many, how many hours did you sleep? How, much, how do you feel? And that gives you some feedback to be able to start a conversation. But really the meat of the conversation is, is my testing on a daily basis of where are we so that we know where we need to go. So what you're saying is you're you're doing your own version of a Braverman test and you just found out they're dopamine or acetylcholine dominant and you're going to create a training program specific to that. You, you can look at it that way. <laughs> I think, I think, <laughs> one thing that I, I've really changed my mind on, th this was early on, but I remember when I changed my mind on it that I was like, oh man, 
I was really wrong, was the idea of testing being predictive. And you can come in one day and your one rep max is 15% different than the previous day. And it's like, oh, so what is, you know, what is truth here? What is, what's actual reality? And so if you're not updating those things on a daily basis, and I'm not saying you come in and test one rep max every day. What I'm saying is you're paying attention to your environment and watching what's happening and saying, oh man, his bar looks a lot slower than usual. Something's going on. Hey, what's going on, Johnny? Um, a guy is, you know, walking funny or with a limp or, you know, you have a conversation with him or he looks tired or he looks fresh and, and just updating your system of, Hey, I recognize what this pattern usually looks like. This looks a little bit different. Can I have this conversation? Cause it sounds overwhelming to be go to 120 people every day and say, Hey, where are you right now in this moment? It's impossible to do. So you can, you can do that at scale with questionnaires and, and things in that way. But really if, Testing, if, t- if in my head, if testing is not predictive, even of the next day or the next week, if I'm doing testing preseason, is that going to last me until the last game of the season? You know, am I am I saying, oh, this guy's hamstrings are strong week one, uh, we're good until week 17? Or do I need to constantly update my information knowing that they might be a high-risk athlete for their hamstrings and say, hey, it's strong, but there's also a lot more variables I need to pay attention to. What is their load like on, a, on any given day? Uh, how was their sleep? Uh, what is their hydration level? How was their how was their fueling? How are they feeling? And knowing about them, about other things that are going on in their life, because all all the, the metrics and the testing that we do are always in theory where all the other thing, all the other variables are controlled. You, there's no stress outside of of sports. There's no there's no issues. Nothing going on in their head, and it, it discounts the the subjective experience that they have. And you have to try to get to understand what their experience is, how they're feeling pain, where it resonates, you know, what, what are patterns of which they're, they have injury or they have soreness and help develop plans for them to help in real time. So instead of looking at testing as predictive and just saying, hey, these are the things you need to do, you're really on the path with them, guiding them as you go. And those are the tests for me. When, when I've referenced the Kinevin framework before about a complex problem where you probe, you sense, and you respond, you do that on a constant basis of, all right, I'm going to probe and say, hey, how, how is this feeling? Or we're going to do this exercise and see what happens. You sense what's going on. You make sense of the situation, and then you respond appropriately. Whereas if you're just applying simple solutions saying, hey, you need to do X, Y, and Z, good luck for the next X amount of weeks, you're, you're looking at falling off a cliff somewhere. So it really does take an, uh, an overwhelming amount of paying attention, which is hard to do. But I think that when it comes to performance testing, the thing I've changed my mind most on is that instead of trying to predict the future, it's just living in the present with what's going on and making the next best decision. So here's something that I personally struggle with. Um, and I think you and I are probably, probably the benefactors of this a lot. Like we're funny, we're likable. Good looking too. You could say good looking. Yeah, I mean, hopefully that goes without being said. But the fear in the back of my mind is what's holding me accountable based off of like what you described of like now I'm getting a really good sense of the folks I'm working with and developing more of a a trust and rapport. They'll do whatever I ask them to do because we do have that trust rapport. 
How do you assess the quality of your interventions without a pre or post test, so to speak, in a traditional sense? Yeah, and that I, I don't, to be honest with you, humility, I, I'm not sure I have the exact answer of that because that is the uncomfortable, uncontrollable. The one thing I'll say about the objective testing is that sometimes I think we try to apply a simple answer because it's a lot more comfortable to say, hey, I did my job. I, I, I got them stronger or my intervention is working. I think a lot of it has to do with, are we seeing general patterns of a feeling of more success? Like even a player coming and say, hey, I just feel better today. Their tests might show otherwise, but they feel as if, oh man, I feel strong or I feel faster, I feel fresher. I think a lot of that subjective experience for an athlete is just as important, if not more important than the the number that's on the on the sheet of paper. Because for, for athletes, they know when they feel light or they feel springy or they feel fast. And there's a, a piece of confidence as well that goes to that. There's this whole human aspect to whether or not they're going to be successful at their sport. But there's also a lot of variables that are uncontrollable in sport that you can't really measure success by whether or not the outcome was good or bad. You know, you still have to go against an opponent where you can't control, you can influence them, but you can't control what they do. You can't control how good they are, the work that they put in. So there's always these uncontrollable factors. But if we're talking about uh, performance testing and say, I mean, I could easily say, okay, I got their hamstrings stronger, but to say, hey, that's where my job ends or my role ends would be a little bit limited because, well, did that transfer? Can we make it transfer to sport? If it does or it doesn't, like how are we how are we shaping this so that it's just constant constant improvement? And, and maybe constant improvement is not the, the exact term I'm looking for, but are we going towards the direction that we set out towards? It's not, you know, it's hard to say, hey, just I'm going to go for a, a singular goal because I think the goal should be very much process-based. Am I doing the things that's going to put me in a better position to succeed? I think that's what I'm trying to say is are we doing things on a daily basis that are putting us in better positions to succeed? And if I'm doing that on a regular basis, I think that's more of an indicator of I'm doing my job well of testing for what's important than it is just the outcome. And I think that's a way more uncomfortable place to be because you can't sell that to someone or you can't go to a coach and say, hey, this is the process. Well, yeah, he still failed. Ah, well, you know, his process was good. It, it, it's not as solid as, hey, well, I, I got them stronger. They should be better. And that, I think that goes back to the first thing that I said of are we, are we taking away limiting factors? And I think that adds to are we putting people in the best positions to succeed every single day by exposing them to the right amount of load, by removing mental stress, by putting things in front of them that they're that are going to be beneficial for them, nutrients, you know, activities, setting things up for them. And that, and again, I'm, I'm seeing it probably in the context of the way I'm working with athletes right now, but I do think the majority of what I'm seeing is putting people in positions to succeed. And that's the, the process of it. Whereas the outcome is not as indicative of whether or not I did a good, a good job or not. I guess I'm going to keep pushing you on this one. So let's talk about a different sport, like acyclical sports. So I apologize. We're going to talk a lot about football, but let's say you were training a weightlifter and it was a very definitive timeline. It was a very definitive outcome. 
would you take that would you take a different approach or would you do some more objective tangible measurement yeah I, th- I think weightlifting in that context is way more specific to the objective data because the overall outcome is the task that you're doing whereas when you're doing it for team sports you know weightlifting is weightlifting conditioning all those things are generalized for the most part and transferability is not one to one Whereas weightlifting, it's a lot closer to one-to-one. And, and I think it's a great point that what I'm saying, again, easily biased on, hey, I'm working with football athletes. So someone that's listening to this right now might be like, hey, I disagree. We, I, I think it's great to disagree because even my bias of someone who's thought about this deeply, there's still something there that's, hey, in this situation, like the one you just said, it's completely different. I, I, would, I would change my perspective. If I was on a weightlifting podcast talking about just weightlifting for the sport of weightlifting, I wouldn't be having the same exact conversation. So I think it's a great point that it's all context dependent. You know, the again, youth, high school, college, professional, the different types of sport all all have their own context that is, hey, objective data is going to be more important for this because the sport requires that there's a specific transferability there. Um, and I think you could, same could be said with, you know, football skill on the field. There's way more transferability of the skill development to the sport rather than just weightlifting or conditioning or being in shape because what we're doing in in team sports is really just providing a a general quality saturating a general quality that is meant to prop up the ability to improve your skill and and spend time on the field and practice the actual skill of it well and i i mean i could tell you definitively for us like me and you personally like the i think the areas that we're most excited and challenged is when we do have a very definitive thing like you recently did a, a body comp challenge with your staff and like we did weightlifting competitions together like i felt like that was like probably the a fun and interesting stretch for us because i do think we take that similar approach of like it's it's more about the process. It's these are complex adaptive systems. There's really no definitive input output here versus like you got to wait to me and I got to be at this weight and I got to get more weight over my head than you and you wanted to get more weight over my head than me. Like it's just and it was like you have some skin in the game of like well what actually matters relatively speaking to that and like you start you started thinking about like, was it a squat problem? Like I can squat pretty good, but I still, I can't move a bar very fast. So do I need to do more dynamic effort and speed stuff and, you know, more sprint work? And you're like, I just got to get stronger. Like, it's a fun, like, I think if, I guess what I would say to that person out there, that's like, just uh, like just pulling their hair out, listening to this thought of like, have you really thought about the sport that you're working with? Like you work with a cyclical sport, like track and field or weightlifting. And it's, pretty easy it's one-to-one as you said like that's an that's your world that's okay versus the other end if you work at a team sport and you realize like if you just get too hung up on one singular attribute like weight or running you get exposed pretty quickly in regards to the athletes buy-in like the coaches buy-in the actually transferability or transmutation to actual performance like and then it's like man like so you can easily pendulum swing the other way so far and then you work with that track and field one off season you're like this is refreshing this is nice man like what actually matters let's do a a muscle fiber test let's do a very specific test with them let's look at 80 percent one rm see how fast they move it and you're like it's all about this let's look at our rsi for the next 12 weeks if we're moving up into the right should make a big difference you know that to me is for that person out there that's listening to this like really frustrated with this and like wanted to get some brass tacks like 
you know, look at your situation, your context. It might actually be better that you take that approach until you have to work in a different situation. You have to reframe that thought process of what is actually performing. Uh, that's awesome. Man. Um, okay. Last thing, man, like, you know, starting tomorrow, like what should someone like, I guess, universally think about with performance testing? Is it going back to that? Like, Hey, what is the biggest limiting factor? Or is it like, a set, like basically doing some sort of inventory of your own personal bias and associations? Like, if you had to like, if someone called you up tomorrow after this podcast and said, I'm just really confused on where to start, where would they start? The biggest thing for me, and I think it was a, it was a good example with the weightlifting is if someone asked me, hey, where I start, I would say, well, where, where are you trying to get to? Do you know where you're trying to get to with this athlete? What, what is the goal? And I would ask why, like, why are you trying to get there? Does that make the biggest impact? So if, you know, a, a soccer strength coach called me up and said, hey, where do I start? And I said, well, where, where are you trying to get to? Well, I want to make them really strong. Well, why do you, why do you want to get them really strong? Like what, what would being strong help with? And I'm sure they'd have an answer, but by just asking why, like, why is this important to me? Why does it transfer? Is this the most important thing? Just starting to investigate some, usually it's some bias or deeply held belief that, oh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And by just challenging yourself a little bit, of is that really the most important thing? Is it something that I have complete control over? Uh, what is the process in which I get there? And what's the importance of that process to get there? You start just looking for what is the thing that I'm actually trying to draw out of it here? And maybe the person would be dead on and have, have thought about that before and they have the right path and great. Then we, then we move our way to how do we get there? And what I'm trying to say is if you have your first principle, your thing that just cannot be reduced any further than what it is. And to me, if I'm going into a situation is what adaptation am I trying to make? The body is adapting. Well, what adaptation am I trying to make? Then once you know, once you start with that as your first principle, you can decide, well, what is the most important adaptation that I'm trying to make in this situation? And then you're looking at what are the things that are going to limit me from doing that? What are the things that are variables that I can find out about or things that I might not know about, um, you know, the human aspect of that. But, and, and I think in a, to add on to that is once you figure out what those are, the next thing I would do is make sure I'm in alignment with the person that I'm working with. Hey, is this what you're trying to get out of this? Because I think a lot of times we take our, our knowledge for granted, like, oh, I have the knowledge, I'm going to tell you what to do. Whereas, especially as this new generation of athletes, um, is showing a pattern of different type of respect for knowledge or information since it's so readily available and authority because there's so many public examples of, of lack of authority and, and people are a little bit less trusting. I think having a conversation with someone and saying, what is the expectation that you're trying to get out of this? Because here's what I'm seeing. And I think more times than you would expect, the athlete might have an, a, an opinion that is different than, than your expectation. So, getting on the same page of, of what you're actually trying to do along with knowing exactly what you're trying to do is is important so what i just assessed with you will is you've turned into a gaba type i think pretty sure how I'm dare sure you how dare you yeah i know well i was about to say man i guarantee this guy did zero phenylalanine and tyrosine today zero Zero. Like you're in such a cerebral spot, man. I'm like, man, this guy needs to be painting a paint by numbers right now. I, I've been painting as we've been talking. 
Yeah, he's a thinker, man. This guy is thinking now. <laughs> and if you don't know what we're talking about in this one, I think that's on you. You need to get you need to get back in the lab and get back on these podcasts. It's going to make a big difference. All right, well, thank you, man. I really appreciate you taking the time. Appreciate you. This was a doozy. We talked a ton, and I mean a ton, about all things performance testing. One of the things that I hope you took from this is performance testing is really important from the context of it has to have an influence on what you're doing. And on top of it, you shouldn't be marrying yourself to preconceived ideas of what performance testing is until you actually get into that setting. Myself and Will talked a lot about it's a lot of variance between location and situations, even within sports, as well as not all performance testing does what it's actually supposed to do. You have to find a way to make that work for you. So a lot of pull, a lot of resources to pull from. Get over to phpodcast.com, become a member. This will get you access to the web show, the live version of this between myself, Corey, and Will, as well as the resources. We have all of the articles and all of the suggested modules to dive into within our curriculum. This is a very dialed in curriculum. It's a lot of information on there. The web show will help you navigate that. phpodcast.com, it's going to be your seminal resource for you as a strength coach to be an amazing practitioner every single time. So make sure you become a member. And on top of it, if you have questions, you can ask anything you need on the forum. This is going to be your go-to to help you triangulate and understand at a deeper level with the community involved with phpodcast.com. Hope you guys enjoyed. Make sure you check us out next week. We're going to talk more about testing and we're going to get into a whole nother aspect of this. So we'll see you guys next week. <laughs>